Hi, and welcome to Purpose to Perform. I am Dr. Jo Brown, APA-titled sports and exercise physiotherapist, mentor, and coach. And this is a new podcast dedicated to high performance for anyone who's up for it. Driven by purpose, join me as we dive deep and explore what it takes to be a high performer, integrate and assimilate cutting-edge evidence, learn from experienced experts in all aspects of high performance and ultimately inspire your journey into performance. Whether you are an athlete, coach or allied health professional, this podcast is for you. Welcome to my world. Welcome to Purpose to Perform. Let's do this. Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Joe Brown, sports physiotherapist and performance coach. And this evening, I have the great pleasure to introduce to you Sophia Larere. She is a acclaimed model, actress, and a dancer, which is where I met Sophie many years ago. She's now worked with many brands such as L'Oreal. You would have seen her on many TV ads, G-Star, Napoleon Pettis, Cherry Ripe, the list goes on. She's been in The Lion King. She's done a lot of things. She's doing a bit of acting these days. And I'm just really interested to chat to Sophie and hear her story. And I've been chatting to a lot of athletes and people forget that dance is actually a sport. The only difference is it's also an art. And I see dancers every day pushing their bodies harder and to greater extremes than most athletes do. And the difference, I think, though, is as an artist, you get to, well, you get to be an artist but also choose to compete as well. And I'm interested to hear your take on whether you're an artist or a competitor, Sophia. So here you are sitting in front of me. When I first met you as this 13-year-old girl, I remember this amazing hair that you hated. <laughs> and I guess... Like, you know, a little bit lost and shy and, you know, most of us at 13 have no idea who we are, right? So I look at you now, though, and you're, you know, feet firmly on the ground, you know exactly who you are and where you're going. And I'm always so interested in what it takes to, you know, go from that shy, you know, probably lost 13-year-old to a person that's really, you know, made a stand in a place for themselves in the world. And I know the creative arts is harder than most industries. So I guess the first thing I'd love to ask you, Sophia, is what are the, I guess, the biggest choices you've made that have directed your career and how did it all start? So, hey, Joe. by the way. Um, my career, I guess the biggest choices I've made during my career are always leaving home and going to the next destination. It's the hardest and the biggest choice I ever have to make. And at the moment, due to COVID, I'm back home. So it's like, a, it's been a bit of a full circle. But um, my career, my dance training started at To The Point at now the Performing Arts Studio, which we both know with Bridgette Kay. And it was a really nourishing place to begin a love of dance, I think. Bridgette Kay always, she never tried to mould us as individuals. Um, she let us kind of bloom where we needed to. You you know, Karen and Rachel and Karen, who's super balletic and mm-hmm. Rachel, who was incredible at contemporary. And then I guess I was a little bit more jazzy and she really pushed and believed in each of our paths and where we were going, which was um, incredible. 
And so, yeah, my dance journey started at To The Point when I was in year seven. And I guess, like, you've talked about Bridget Kay and um, you and I both know Bridget is just an amazing person and dance teacher. And I think there's, you know, most people, whether you're an athlete or a dancer, there's, you know, that one special person that, you know, believes in you when you don't believe in yourself and, would that be Brigitte for you, do you think? A hundred percent. I was a bit of a, I guess I was a little bit lost at school. I never really stood out in any subject. And so when I started dancing, that was the one place that I was like, oh, I think I might have a bit of a passion or I might be good at something. Um, yeah, I always, always loved sports. But then when you add the art element to it, it's, it takes you to a whole new place. So yeah, a hundred percent Brigitte K. She saw something in me that I have only started to see in the last couple of years. So super grateful for her presence early on. Amazing. And yeah, I can totally hear that in your voice that she was, you know, an influential character in that, you know, giving you that foundation and dance and that belief in yourself. Tell us what happened. <coughs> Excuse me. I understand you had an experience in New York I guess that was encouraged by Bridget as well, correct? Yeah. So in year 12, I'd been dancing for like um, for about five, six years. And then in year 12, we had one other student, Karen Lehman, the year before, who went and did ABT, so American Ballet Theatre. And then Bridget and I think Karen, they kind of like asked me, they're like, Sophia, you should try try out for Alvin Ailey. I didn't know too much about it. And everyone listening, this is a big deal to get into these places. If you don't know dance, Sophia's just kind of rattling it off like it's no big deal, but it's pretty huge as an Australian dancer to get invited to um, dance at these places. Alvin Ailey is, uh, it started as a, it started by Alvin Ailey himself and he created an African-American dance company in New York, the first of its kind and probably one of the first around the world. Um, so that's established and it's in New York and it's in this incredible building and all the walls are glass and multiple level studios. So I auditioned for that when I was in year 12 and because it was their winter and no, it was our winter and their summer, it meant that I had to miss three months of school. So my mum had to go and speak to the principal and was in the principal's office and the principal would not have a bar of it, didn't, oh, wow. was not going to let me go until I think some teacher, I forgot her name, but she was in the drama section of the school and she popped her head in and she heard Alvin Ailey. And so she talked up the school in front of my mom and the principal. And so the principal finally, finally let me go. But of course they had to put it on the sport mm. to allow me to go. The dance program had been wiped out of the school like a couple years before. They just didn't believe in the arts like that. But that experience in New York just completely changed the trajectory of my life. It was the first time since living in Ghana as a kid where I was surrounded by, say, more than three people who had different colour skin and looked like me and had curly hair. And I would say 85 of, 85% of the kids there were African-American ethnicity or Puerto Rican. Yeah, it was just incredible. And I found parts of me that I didn't understand or know at the time that were lost, I guess. And wow, That's so powerful. 
yeah, it was the dream for sure. I, it just sounds like you, you know, you had a place to belong, you know, for the first time and a real identity. Yeah. Uh, well, Noosa is a beautiful place to flourish as a kid. But in terms of like seeing myself in other people and other dancers who were older than me and incredibly successful, that was the first experience I'd ever had and made it clear that I could definitely do this if I wanted to. Do you think that was when you really decided you wanted to be a dancer? Oh, yeah, for sure. Everything felt different. So we had a ballet class every morning at 9am, followed by like some sort of contemporary class, Horton, Graham, and then there was hip-hop, musical theatre, and then we would roam the streets of New York in the afternoon and on the weekend. (laughs) It's so incredible. I'd only stayed in Noosa and gone to Melbourne a couple of times. I was in paradise. So when you came home from Alvinelli, what was the next step and how did that change you? Coming home, I remember, I think that was like one of the first times I was like, I need to get back there. I felt like I needed to be back in that room again, surrounded by people from different cultures and very contemporary base. And so that was my mission. And so I knew of one other girl in my Thursday I used to take Thursdays off to dance all day at SCADA. I knew one other girl who'd gone to this performing arts school in Melbourne called PSA. And she warned me at the time and she said, Patrick Studios Australia, it's incredibly hard. You like, it's just make sure you're prepared. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I've just come back from New York. I'll be fine. I'm rocking it. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm great. (laughs) So I went to the audition and surely enough, like I get to the audition and there's little kids and they're like, little soldiers like they're doing a thousand turns and kicking their legs past their head and I was like I need to go to this school um and so I got in and that first couple of months was one of the toughest periods of my life I've never been pushed mentally and physically like that ever before and we had this dance uh, the director of the school Todd Patrick it was really intimidating he would walk, walk the hallways and kind of Oh, he just had this presence about him. You're so too afraid to ask him any questions. And his jazz classes were like I did. I did Muay Thai in Thailand once, and his warm ups were almost like no, their Muay Thai classes were almost as hard as Todd's warm ups. Oh wow! We would we would be running out of his class classes, vomiting sometimes. They were so insane. But so he looked at me like the first couple months I got there, and kind of looked at me and looked me up and down and said, you know, Lion King's coming at the end of the year. And I was like, okay, cool. And so that day he really planted a seed because I'd never seen myself in a musical. I'd never thought that was possible. I was just going there to dance and, I don't know, hopefully get a cruise ship one day. Yeah. 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 And I can just hear that, you know, obviously there was a doubt in your own mind still at that point. Yeah, of course. I, it was still such a hard industry I I didn't know any dancers before that and my whole family weren't really dancers they were very my grandma was like okay yeah like this is a fun this is fun always very supportive but I could tell that there was they were a bit hesitant to fully um, accept the arts. yeah yeah except for my mum she was always like do what you want she did beads for a living so she's very creative and open to that type of world so tell us about the Lion King auditions because they're obviously auditioning around the globe. Is that right? Uh, yeah. So they auditioned in New Zealand and they had auditions in South Africa. They brought people over from London and New York. 
and the auditions were intense. They, I remember the day. So we had like mini auditions before just to prepare and they were all, they were already insane. So I remember the day we had to audition, there was like 50 people in the room before me. And then I went in the room and then there was 50 people in our group and then 50 people in the group after, and that was just Melbourne and they would chop us. And the day just got, we got smaller and smaller and smaller until we were let go and told to come back in a few months. And we did about three to four rounds of auditioning in Melbourne and numerous studios and then in Sydney. And then I think we found out in August that we had got the part and started in huge experience. Like the process is so much bigger than I'm guessing any of our listeners ever realize, right? It's not just you rock up one day and you get in. Yeah, I didn't even realize that it was that insane. Yeah, it was huge. It's so, so exciting. You got in. Awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. So okay. tell us about the Lion King experience. That must have been amazing. I actually saw um, Sophie on stage in Brisbane and it was very exciting. But tell us about your experience. <laughs> um, the Lion King was incredible. I think it was, I think the experience was had less to do with dance. Like I thought I was going to go to sing and act and do a bit of, you know, get paid, a bit of dancing and that was it. And that's what I did. <laughs> but like to be in on stage with people from South Africa, Ghana, Zimbabwe, well, Jamaica, New York, London, communicating on and off stage. Like the lessons were priceless and we traveled around Australia together. And then the company went to New Zealand. And I remember sitting at dinners and events, just so inspired by what there was to learn in this life. Cause they all brought so much culture from around the globe and I think that those moments really inspired me to read and see what else I could find out there which is something I I don't I grew up in Noosa there's really it's very white I guess mm-hmm. so very mainstream white and glass ceiling on yeah the and a hundred percent and it's reflected yeah. back at us through our government and it's like the most wow I'm inspired by you talking about that sorry I want to be in the Lion King too <laughs> don't have the right skill set unfortunately and so like I can only imagine like how hectic that you know the you know show after show after show like how many shows did you do with the Lion King um I think uh I left after the around about 520 I remember we got our 500 500th cake and that was the last cake I remember and then (laughs) all about the cake I love it (laughs) I, I do remember that cake um and then I guess I started to get really, uh, I, I, I started to get FOMO. It was, it was, mm-hmm. We had the internet and I could see all like, I could see my peers that I did full time with and I could see them growing in different areas like hip hop and contemporary. And I was doing the same thing over and over again. And mm-hmm. um, I and guess on the outside, people growing. like, like yeah, I didn't day. feel like, exactly. In hindsight, I look back and I was like, oh, I learned multiple lessons. But at the time I just wanted to be, a little bit more free within my movement. Mm-hmm. So after the that's 500 such a crazy something. metaphor. So <laughs> saying that in terms of like, I know you're saying that in terms of life and stuff, but it's probably a metaphor for actually what you do in terms of dance as well, right? A little bit freer oh, in terms of movement. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Now when I do jobs and I feel so restricted, I get a bit because I feel like on a spiritual level, our body kind of opens us up 
the sort of mm-hmm. emotions like our hips make us you would know too because you're yeah a i see it all the sits. time and look these you know my science background tells me that you know really and but i see it every day so i totally hate you so i felt that um affecting my emotions so after 500 shows i put in my resignation and i was like i need a bit of a break but then i went to LA to dance for three months wasn't the biggest break yeah so that was a whole experience within itself Uh, America LA especially there is no glass ceiling (laughs) everyone pushes boundaries yeah and to live in those my friends that I met there to live in their worlds for a bit was super inspiring and that really taught me that I could express in multiple avenues if I wanted to and not not be creative in pursuit of income or an applause but just to release an experiment which I am still yeah be me exactly find me even um yeah yeah that experience was insane highly recommended for any dancers that ever wants to find a bit of that within themselves if you're looking for the glass to break free of the glass ceiling yeah but the glass ceiling that's also imposed on your mind when you're born into certain areas. And I think, you know, travel just does that naturally anyway. And if you're in a place where it's the best place to be for your industry, which it sounds like LA is the place to, you know, be and evolve as a creative artist. It's I did my first yoga and dance class, yoga dance class there. Mm-hmm. I've never done a yoga dance class before. So, so if I said at the start, I'm really interested in how high performers such as yourself, how they achieve their goals and I've got a lot of experience in the world and what I see is there's not a direct line from, you know, being that 13-year-old girl to your success and, you know, every fall, everyone falls down every now and again and I'm really passionate about sharing those, you know, those real and true stories because I think, you know, outside world looking in, people think it's all perfect and you live this amazing life and go to New York and LA and da, 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 and you're the Lion King, you have this amazing tribe of people around you. But there are some hard times and I know you've had some and you've shared them with me in the past. And I, I guess a lot of people don't get a chance to share that with anyone. And if you're willing to, you know, share us a little bit of, you know, your journey and, you know, some of the harder points for you and your career and how you got through those yeah um of course I don't mind we've talked about it before um after I came back from LA I I didn't have any purpose and so I think purpose is what's is what is needed to um to keep going sometimes and so that gave me a bit of anxiety I felt it starting to rise and I went back to LA to try and train again and find some sort of purpose. But I was looking everywhere outside of me instead of within me. I'd never kind of sat back, reassessed. I'd never taken into into account the importance of mental health. And um, as a dancer, it's a very competitive industry. So if you never look at that, it can get a bit damaging. So um, the anxiety, I never, I didn't know how to fully tap into it. And then I was doing a show and it just came to a climax and I had an anxiety attack and I went to hospital mm-hmm. during the show. After there, yeah, I stopped. I just downward spiral, stopped eating for a couple of days, stopped sleeping, went back to hospital for two weeks to people could look, look after me. My mum and my godmother mm-hmm. flew from Noosa to Sydney at the time to come get me 
moved home. I was on antidepressants. I was like sitting in my room for months and months on edge. I probably saw someone every three weeks. And then I would just sit in my room and read and write and watch movies. And that was the first time that I'd ever experienced depression on that level where I wouldn't even want to get out of my bed some days. On a positive note, I look back at that time and now I'm here in COVID and it almost feels like that time was a preparation for this time. (laughs) (laughs) You're a doomsday prepper. Lottery. (laughs) Pardon? Doomsday prepper. 100%. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah I during that moment I, I was like I'm not gonna dance again I've lost it I was 21 at the time so dramatic didn't really mm-hmm. maybe 22 didn't understand like how big life was and dancing was my whole world <laughs> so yeah my mom just brought in a plate of food thanks oh my god she's still amazing <laughs> of course if, if you could tell right now so if you could talk to 21 year old Soph and give her some advice what would you say like back in that time what would you tell her uh to be honest I wouldn't give her any advice I would just say keep going because I really like who I am now and I love I really like my mistakes and I really liked that time in hindsight like I I'm so grateful for that whatever I've been through is I'd just say keep going I'd be like keep going you can do it something like that I guess and what I'm hearing is it's okay to not be okay, right? And, you know, unless we embrace our darkness, we can't actually let it go. Mm-hmm. And it's a perfect time as well to reassess and create new goals. Before that, I'd never been really, I never sat still and asked myself what I wanted to do. I'd never been interested in modeling, which I didn't do before that. So after those seven months, I moved back to Sydney and I, I started modeling. I started freestyling for the first time. It was like I was, you know, in school, when you have a book and you do all the annotating, you mm-hmm. highlight. It was like that sort of moment in my life instead of being on stage. Yeah, sounds like a real reset for you. Tell me about the modelling side of things. So, if, like, I know you've done some really amazing things. And I remember for a couple of months, every time I turned on my TV, which isn't very often, but you seem to be eating a cherry rye or <laughs> walking wow. down a beach or eating makeup or doing something, you were all over it. Yeah. So how does the modeling, I guess, fit in with your values and stuff? And obviously you're like with the L'Oreal, with the makeup, you know, you're a woman of color in the world and, you know, selling that brand of makeup for them. And how do you feel about where do you sit with, you know, all of that and your identity as a woman of color now, I guess that was really badly got out that question, but (laughs) do you get what i'm trying to ask you so i 100 percent get what you i I think yeah now more than ever i think people are not they're always a bit nervous to go and ask questions like this because of what's Mm -hmm. happening like politically but i i didn't realize at the time i started modeling to be completely honest because i wanted a bit of money (laughs) and like as i got into it and i started sitting in the makeup chair and people started putting makeup on my face and doing my hair and asking me questions or the lack of hair, I started to understand how and like really take into account how not diversified the industry was mm-hmm. and how I was sometimes used as a token to show people's um, performative allyship mm-hmm. or I, it, 
in the States and other countries, I think they're a little bit in, ahead in terms of diversity. Mm-hmm. So I noticed that. And I remember sitting on some sets and there would be a pile of Vogue magazines and I would flick through from, say, 2010 to 2015, 16, and I wouldn't see one person of colour throughout the magazine, maybe uh, an Asian and uh, mixed race, someone who even looked like me once or twice as the mm. years went on. And I think I, that really clicked then that maybe modelling could be, I could have a purpose here to mm-hmm. try and see a more blended community or blended beauty within the industry and that sort of became my purpose I wouldn't let anyone straighten my hair Uh, it's really hard sometimes I have to have conversations with hairstylists and makeup artists about how to do my hair (laughs) back now in we're in the world of COVID what Mm -hmm. was going to be 2020 for you Sophia well, 2020, I'm back to the books. I'm back and I'm looking at my old dancing. I'm seeing what I've done. I'm reassessing, making new goals. I'm getting into choreography a little bit more, just experimenting with that, which I have never done before. I'm spending a lot of time being a human. Like with my mom and my sister, I've started to learn how to surf. I like just going on lots of bushwalks and spending a bit of time in nature, which is the healer. Yeah, it's a it's a perfect place to be during the mayhem. <laughs> yeah, and I just hear your feet are so firmly planted on the ground right now and you're so comfortable in your own skin, just glowing. Oh, oh, yeah, that's why they were a famous international model, right? So oh. I've got a few quick questions and I ask these to yep. all the people I interview. So I'm just going to pull them up for you. So you'll probably answer them a little bit differently to some of the athletes, but... So what did the little voice say in your head on, I guess, like competition day or performance day? And what does it say in your head on a really big, you know, one of those hard training preparation days? So on performance or like an opening of a show, say, I don't get nervous. Surprisingly, I'm just really calm throughout the day. And then maybe two minutes before I get get on stage or we're about to go on stage, we're about to open, I just get a rush of adrenaline, which is kind of like, great, now I've got two minutes to sort this out. Um, yeah, so I just like let it happen and hope for the best, really. Yeah. There's no, I don't have um, any mantras or anything I do really, it's just more organically and we'll see kind of what happens. But it's always relatively calm, I guess. And okay. well, oh, yeah, on sorry, one of those crazy long days where you're in the studio for eight hours without a break, what are those? What do you say on those days? To be honest, it's never it's never hard. Dancing now is like a blessing. Every time I can get a job and every time I can do something that is more creative, and I'm surrounded by creative, it's it's never a hard situation. It's always fun. Everybody in the room is so left and right brained and intelligent and funny at the same time so it's never too bad but I remember at PSA I would when we would have to train because that was pretty intense insane insane yeah intense I would um like during a plank I remember telling myself this is gonna sound crazy but but I'd be like you will not get into the Lion King if you drop your knees you will not you will (laughs) not be able to like I would be giving myself these insane ultimatums um and I sometimes do that now. All right, next one. Three words to describe you as a performer. 
I would say open. Lately, I've been very soft. I haven't been tapping into any sort of aggression throughout my dancing. Extroverted. I tend to show my emotions through my dance and it's kind of boundless when I'm dancing and when I'm being Sophia in the normal world, I, I do have a lot more boundaries and a little bit more laid back, I guess. How amazing it is when you get to work as a dancer, you get to work expressing yourself. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's sometimes I think it's the only way I know how to. <laughs> biggest inspiration? Uh, biggest inspiration, apart from my family, like my mum and my sister, I see all their hard times and I grow with them always, would probably have to be the trees. I walk through the trees and my mind is clear. I look to the trees for guidance. This is going to sound incredibly hippie, but yeah, I, I just, they teach me so much. <laughs> Amazing. You've obviously got a connection with nature there, my dear. All right. Favorite style. I'd normally say training, but for you, it can be style. Favorite style would be at the moment, it changes all the time, popping and this isn't a style, but yoga. I'm really enjoying moving through yoga poses and adding what I've learned the last couple of years um, during my popping classes, which is an American hip hop style. A popping is like it's under the the umbrella of hip hop. So you mm-hmm. have all these styles and popping. I wish I could. I'm not like super nerdy when it comes to history. I should be more nerdy. But popping is basically when you hold um, your muscles and you release them. And you will see them sometimes infusing hip hop. Okay, so if what we're going to do is we're going to try and get you a, a little split video for 30 seconds of you popping when we go live, oh, this, so people know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right, okay. <laughs> okay. Okay, last question. You're almost there. What is performance mm-hmm. to you? Uh, performance to me is when I can. Lately, it's when I can be Sophia during a performance. So you're always asked something. There's something being asked of you when you come on set or you're telling a story via dance on stage. And so when you can, when you can blend that aspect of what's being asked, with you, asked of you and yourself into the one and you can kind of make that, synchronise that, I think that's performance to me. Oh, my God, that's so beautiful. Amazing. You're so amazing. <laughs> Oh, so are you, Drew. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us today, Sophia. There's so many, like, absolute bits of gold in there. And I'm sure if there's any dancers or budding um, performers out there, they would really gain a lot from your experience. And I'm sure just the general public will have something to gain from all your wise words. So thank you so much for coming on. And any closing words you'd like to share or any advice you'd like to pass on to everyone out there thanks joe for having me um if there was any advice i would say believe i think the arts is sometimes a i think it's sometimes seen as this like sacred talent and it's only for a chosen few and that we can't all all be artists or expect express ourselves but i think we all have something to share and communicate and no one is the same when it comes to dance, uh, singing, acting. So if there's something that you want to do, make sure you do it because there's obviously a message behind that and there's something that you need to express to the world and the people need to hear you. So, yeah, believe in yourself. 
So awesome. I There's a favourite quote of mine, actually, Sophia, which rings through to what you've just said, and it's, don't die with your song unsung. And, you know, I've got something to say it, say it, and um, it's kind of part of the reason why I'm here doing this podcast, right, sharing people's stories. So, Incredible. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joe. Before I go, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to a podcast and give it a rating. That way you won't miss out on the next episode. If you have feedback or an idea for our podcast, you can contact us at purpose, the number two, perform on Insta or Facebook or email purpose, the number two, perform at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Remember, performance is not a passive experience. This podcast is produced by the Brisbane Podcasting Centre. Thanks for listening.